Talking Football with Rob Daniels and Vince Tracy. Talking Football. Well, a very good day, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Our date is the 15th of June, 2023. Definition on the mountain is good. Let's go west of uh, where we are and we should find Rob and uh, hopefully with another glorious day. I'm getting the feeling that I'm talking to an asthmatic society. I'm getting very heavy breathing. Don't know if it's you, whether it's on the line or whatever, I'm not sure. But whichever way, Rob, a very good day. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Vince. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. And uh, I'll, yeah, I'll try, I'll try not to... Uh, I've, I've got a bit of hay fever, as I always do at this oh, time of right. year, but I don't think I'm particularly breathing that heavily but it's a beautiful day down here as well today um after some pretty turbulent weather hasn't it over the last few uh, last couple of weeks it it but has it's, it's, it's beautiful today and apologies for um, you know obviously i'm just giving you the feedback because obviously we're going to make the podcast um so yeah. uh, we've got lots to talk about uh, for those that listen we may as well actually just briefly tell you that it is a season here in this part of spain where there's a lot of pollen about and it is difficult um, for a lot of people. So, um, you know, I understand, Rob, it is difficult. Um, Now, uh, at the 13th attempt, Manchester City uh, finally have the European Cup. Now, just before we get there, there was a game on TV last night, which um, was the Nations Cup semi-final. Did you see that? This was the Dutch game. I didn't see it, Vince, but I, I, I know the result. Um, it was Netherlands 2, uh, Croatia 4, wasn't it? And that was a semi-final of the Nations League of, of this um, season. And tonight we've got Spain against Italy in the other semi-final. So hopefully, I'm going to go and watch that, actually, to be honest. And uh, hopefully Spain will get through and it'll be Spain and Croatia in the final. Um, but yes, that, that that's the Nations League, which, again, is one of these competitions which... It's fairly recent, isn't it? We and it's something I don't follow on a regular basis because they don't advertise a lot of the matches. But I did know that the uh, semi-finals were being played. Yeah, I think a lot of it's about um, uh, distraction, personally. But so uh, I'll distract myself and go back to Manchester City <laughs> and the European Cup final. Uh, they then became the sixth English club to win it after. Uh, Liverpool uh, six times, Manchester United three times, Chelsea and Nottingham Forest uh, both twice and Aston Villa just the once. Um, And it's been a long wait for the Blues uh, with some organising near misses in, well, agonising, should I say, in recent seasons. Uh, Let me just add in, by the way, that uh, for the money that's been spent, um, it's the minimum that they should have expected to have achieved. Despite that, we will try and be very gracious in the fact that we're looking at what the team has achieved. So a team is not... Uh, it's expensive, of course it is, and of course it's unfair, we know that. So those people listening into the podcast who maybe have even stronger views than I have regarding the money, uh, let me just say that no matter how expensive players might be, 
They have to gel as a team. And I think this is where Pep Guardiola and his squad of uh, millionaires have obviously got something which up till now they've not been able to achieve. So I don't want to begrudge anybody, especially if I remember Eric, who was part of our podcast team. Uh, you know, he would have been uh, in his seventh heaven. Um, uh, I didn't mean a pun there, but, you know, with t- with Eric not being with us now because he died, uh, then obviously if there's such a thing as uh, a place where you go and watch the football match up in the sky, I hope Eric's very, very happy. Um, I know Neil is very happy because he, on one of our other podcasts, is also a Man City fan. So... Um, Let's go back to the very first involvement in continental competition. So when would that have been, do you think, um, Rob? Um, Man City were involved in um, the European... The first time they went into Europe, I think it was um, about 1968-69 season, wasn't it? um, I can't remember it personally, but when I was uh, having a little bit of a look about it, They've been in to European competitions in quite, well, quite a few occasions. And they actually um, won the what was called the European Cup Winners' Cup in 1970. Now, that was, um, that finished, it sort of changed into the Champions League situation as it is at the moment in the late 1990s. But yeah, City have been involved. Um, for a long time, and this is the first time they've won anything in Europe. They won the the, the actual uh, Champions League. Let's face it. And um, yeah, I was thinking out. I've got actually written down here um, Eric Malpass, our uh, late colleague, who would be over the moon. Uh, Neil Colbert, who is still one of uh, your correspondents, and also while um, we're talking about this subject. Uh, Terry Whitehead, who is another one of your uh, Europe um, calling uh, correspondents, is an Aston Villa fan, isn't he? And they have won it. And they are also into Europe again this season or for next season. So, uh, yeah, fantastic news for English football in general. Any Man City fans, um, congratulations. Yes, they've got a squad that has cost a fortune. Pep Guardiola, though, has trained them up. And they've eventually managed to pull it off. They did a treble, Vince. It's, it's, I think it's only the second time it's been done. Um, in the, um, well, well, the, in the, the annals, the annals of the football history. So, in actual fact, yeah. isn't it strange that it's both Manchester teams that have been able to do this? It is actually, isn't it? And uh, it was it was strange also that it was it was a Manchester um, FA Cup final as well because that's the first time that's happened also. But um, but, but to yeah, get a per- I think, uh, to get a perspective, Rob, there was a series running on the BBC uh, midweek or no, I think it might have been ITV, but whichever way, it was looking at how uh, English clubs dominated Europe uh, in the seventies and the eighties. And uh, let me just add in that although at the moment we're not talking about Liverpool, uh, they featured so heavily. And I was looking at many players who I've actually had the privilege of playing with in charity games, you know, in the pro-ams, etc. So let's not get carried away with Man City because they've been featuring since 2011-2012. 
and okay, they've appeared every season since that. But uh, you know, if you want to really talk about European greatness, then obviously Liverpool are streets ahead of the others uh, because you know uh, we'll wait and see how many times Man City do it now. Um, they have got obviously uh, a lot of money invested and um, if you look at what happened when they came into the Saturday showdown they were the heavy favourites weren't they? Oh Vince I mean um, when it actually came to the match day um, Manchester City were odds on favourites um, they, they, and, and they only won it, um, it well it was 2-1 wasn't it at the end I think uh, oh, sorry, it was 1-0, and it was Rodri who scored the goal in the second half. And personally, in my own personal opinion, I didn't think it was a very good football match. Um, City won, which they got the right result, but I don't think it was the best performance of the season. And uh, Inter didn't look, like, didn't look like they were anywhere near as good as City, but they kept trying right until the end. So... Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't think it was the best match I've seen um, City play this season. Well, in defence... Or in, the best match I've seen, but they, they, but they won it, so uh, good luck to them. In, in defence of City, uh, we could make the same comment about uh, Liverpool playing Tottenham in, in that final, Liverpool playing Real Madrid in the final uh, before that. I think, you know, it's the, it's the desire not to lose that uh, takes precedence over the desire to win. And I wasn't impressed by a lot of the tactics that seemed to be employed by the um, the, the uh, Italian team. I did feel that their head was mainly uh, looking at how not to lose, although in the last couple of minutes they could have equalised, couldn't they? They could have done. And, and um, just with a 1-0 lead um, in, the, in the final few minutes of the match, that is when um, it got exciting, if you like, it, from a neutral's point of view. Obviously, I, I was rooting for City. But um, in the last couple of minutes, Inter were des- desperately trying to score the equaliser and didn't manage to do so. Um, but yes, the uh, Italians tried Italian tactics, shall we say. Um, they won't win any fair play prizes, but uh, th- that's how they play football. Well, yeah, I, you see, the thing is, uh, this is where I do want to uh, praise the the efforts of Man City. I think they've been absolutely invigorating. I think they've played football in a way that, obviously, you, you, I mean, you want to see good football played. OK, it's not your team winning. OK, you, you've got to accept that. I mean, it's ridiculous to to be so partisan that you can't understand how good another team is. And certainly, I would say that Arsenal have been uh, a great team to watch this year. I think Manchester United started to look a lot better and Liverpool started to look better. Um, uh, Newcastle were a revelation. Uh, So I just uh, think it's nice to see that there's so much going on in the Premier League, but there is a cloud on the horizon and if you go to the link that I sent you, it's the Manchester City investigation uh, where the Premier League's mm. financial accusations appeal processes are likely to kick in. So um, let's discuss that. Um, uh, have you got that link up in front of you? Yes, I have, Vince, and uh, I've been doing a bit of research on it uh, myself, actually. And um, yes, Manchester City could be in 
big trouble. Well, they are in big trouble, aren't they, basically? But, um, again, it's nothing to do with the team, nothing to do with Pep. Um, it's nothing to do with the supporters, but it is all to do with um, the sort of background financial regulations involved. And uh, they've been under investigation now for several years. They were found guilty in um, 2020 of... Um, of, fi- of breaking the financial fair play rules, but then they appealed against it, and it was their appeal was successful. But now they they going back to court again, and because they are they're guilty, basically. I don't know what the sanction might be at the end of the day, but it might be really heavy. When you it said might, it, might, it might be a very heavy one. When you said the guilty, um, now you see the thing is this is the sort of thing. Well, they've been fa- they've been found guilty, Vince. Um, yeah, but I mean, we hear the, 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 the guilty verdict was overturned. We hear that uh, Trump is guilty in the United States, and yet, if you really went to a lot of other sources, you would find that that uh, he's totally innocent. Um, as I say, I'm only commenting. I'm not t- telling you that either of us is right or wrong. I just feel that you see, we don't see these things, and I honestly believe that. It's about time that if they really, really wanted a fair system for everybody, then what they would do is they would do exactly the same as we have in the um, fantasy football. You know, you have a sum of money, everybody has the same sum of money, and it doesn't matter how many camels you've got parked on the park outside and how many oil wells you can go and stick your hand down. You know, you've got the same chance as everybody else. Then we really will find out who are the better managers. Um, you don't forget Sam Allardyce thinks he's equally as good as um, Pep and uh, the likes of Jurgen Klopp. Now you you can't really you can't really say that he's totally wrong because when you look at the money the other two clubs have gotten, the look at the money that he's been getting. I think that's a fair comment, isn't it? That is a fair comment, Vince. Um, Sam Allardyce got uh, five hundred thousand pounds for four matches uh, at the end of the season for Leeds and he would have got a bonus I think of something like two million if Leeds had stayed up but he, they didn't and yeah the, the whole uh, situation as we as we speak about quite often is completely out of hand and uh, I agree with what you say about the uh, the fantasy football um, situation which we, we might actually be setting up a, a fantasy um, football league for next season yeah um, in memory of Eric, amongst uh, other people. But, um, yeah, if each team had the same starting uh, amount of money, then it really comes down to who is the best team. Mm. But when you've got teams that have got just endless funds, um, you can't really compete with uh, s- smaller teams, can't really compete, can they? Well, going, um, going to what this uh, article that we're talking about is saying, it's talking about uh, Man City being involved before with the U- UEFA and the Court of Arbitration for Sports. City have always denied wrongdoing, but UEFA banned them from Europe for two seasons in 2020. So uh, how does that sit with me reading that they've appeared in every European uh, finals uh, for the last sort of 10 years, I think it was, that we were just reading about. You see, the thing is, you've got so much um, conflicting information that unless you read it and read 
between the lines, the English club went to CAS and got the suspension overturned. There's the answer to why they were, were able to uh, appear in those uh, other years. But you see, these are alleged breaches when other people would have been around and therefore it does make it difficult uh, for everybody and me in particular to be too um, too hard in the things that really I feel strongly about. I mean, by all means, I'm not castigating Pep Guardiola and I'm not particularly castigating any of his team. It's whoever pulls the financial strings. And if £32 million is not enough to deter them from doing it again, then you're going to have to get nearer the £132 million or take a couple of um, swipes at the oil pr- pr- production or some of the other things um you, you know i don't i don't i'm not certainly advocating camel poisoning or anything like that um but you know uh, this has become nonsensical and where would i put the blame i would put the blame fairly and squarely somewhere between american desires of wanting to get their hands on the Premier League because it's money and that's all they care about is money. They're not worried about the Burnley fans who will face Manchester City in the first game of the season next year. Um, you know, they're not worried about Burnley fans and whether it's a bit cold up in the northwest of England. And so all the Manchester City uh, uh, cosseted players will have to take up black tights and uh, gloves to keep their hands from getting a little bit cold. You see, that's not what the Americans understand. And the camels, well, I mean, you know, as long as they get whatever camels are going to be fed um, and, uh, you know, can plonk about in the sand and be happy. You know, well, come on. This is not British football, and I'm sick and tired of the things that are spoiling what is a... It used to be called the beautiful game. I think Manchester City, Pep Guardiola and his group of players have made it the beautiful game. They play gorgeous football. Arsenal, they've played some beautiful football this year. Eddie Howe, his team has played some very good football at Newcastle. Uh, Ten Hag, he's got his team beginning to look good um, in Manchester United. I think uh, certainly Liverpool are getting back to where they should be. Brighton played some great football. There's been a lot to applaud in a very, very difficult situation. Sam Allardyce, well, he reckons he's as good as the other two that we mentioned. But he had four games to sort out um, Leeds United who have picked on Bielsa yeah, because... And, 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 yeah, and we drew one and lost three. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's not Sam Allardyce's fault. You don't change a team in three or four games for my money. doesn't matter how many camels you're no. going to pay them. Uh, you know, uh, you don't do it that way. You've got to give it a period of time. I think I would bring in another rule that you don't sack a manager unless he's done at least three months. Then maybe you'll be a bit more careful in who you actually select. What do you think? That's a very good idea, Vince, isn't it, actually? Because um, managers, although um, they are very expendable, they don't seem to get the opportunity, do they, Um, to actually form a team and actually get a squad together. And I think a three-month period, minimum period on the contract, if you like, where they can't get sacked, because if the team employs them to manage... The, the the players, then um, 
it's only it's only fair really that they should give them a certain amount of time to manage to try and get the team into shape. And if they don't do it, then fair enough, they they go out the back door. But yes, just managers for two or three matches and then sacking them and well, things think, like that. I think just it, as we it, it, make, it makes sense what you're saying. It's minimum three month period. I would agree with totally. And I think also a minimum amount of money. Uh, sorry, a minimum and a maximum amount of money. So whatever manager you're talking about, don't forget, when you've got the likes of, say, I can't remember his name now, who went into Brighton, the job had been probably mainly done. Um, you know, OK, Graham Potter... Was it greed? I'm not for me to judge. He he might have seen a bigger opportunity, a bigger stage. Chelsea will play Liverpool, by the way, as the first game in the new season. Um, so I'm looking at uh, really there are two factors in this. There should be an amount of money for the manager to spend. Get it out the boardroom. Get it away from the the boardroom. Everybody starts with an amount of money. And then the managers all get a bonus, as the players do, on performance. That's where it all goes wrong for me. If they don't really uh, come up with the goods, why should they get the money? I mean, look at Bielsa. He brought something to your club. He brought an ethos. They had a bit of a bad run, so immediately, you know, he's got to go. Where's it gone since that? It went downhill, didn't it? So it's like oh, it, it went it went completely downhill, Vince. Uh, unfortunately, and the people who were who were running at Leeds United Football Club, which is my club, as everybody knows, um, should really be brought to task because they they changed manage, managers. We had three different managers throughout the season, and the, the Spanish guy they brought in, who I thought at the time he was probably the only person who would take the job. Um, they, they they should have done it in a different way. They should have got rid of the um, American fella before the World Cup, before the transfer window in January, but they didn't. And then it just, yeah, we, we got relegated. And we aren't the only team that are in that kind of situation. It's quite, it's Rob, quite common, isn't it? That, Rob, there's a call coming in. Hang on. There's, there's a call coming in. Are you there? Yep. Yep. Okay, so England football fans are up in arms over the unfair soccer aid celebrity football match. This is a World Eleven team packed with stars. Uh, they won again as others slammed the decision to set minimum donations at £10. Now, this is not fair. During a cost of living crisis, if somebody can only give £2 or a pound or whatever the amount of money... Uh, I'm not bothered about whether England were beaten. It's a charity game. It's not as important as people might uh, make out. Uh, you know, we've got all the, uh, the the story about Paul Scholes putting the three lines ahead. You know, what's more important is what happened uh, off the pitch. What happened to people who wanted to give maybe a pound of the pocket money or something like that couldn't afford £10. Uh, what happens to people who don't like to use the internet and a lot of older people won't want to pay over the internet? Uh, what happened with the young lady wearing the red dress? Tell us what that was all about, please, Rob. So this is one of the commentators. OK. Yeah. Well, right, Vince, what you're talking about is um, they had... 
they do it. I think it's an annual event now, but it's called Soccer Aid, and it, it um, is the English eleven against the rest of the world, isn't it? And uh, Usain Bolt, the uh, athlete Usain Bolt, is the captain of the rest of the world, and he actually scored two goals in that match, and the rest of the world won it four two. But um, as you mentioned, it was all it's a charity football match, and. It, it relies on donations. It went to UNICEF, the money that they wrote that they raised. I think it was about fifteen million pounds actually. So they which did is, raise quite a brilliant. lot of money. It's it's I mean that's uh, that aspect of it is brilliant. But what I want to mm. talk about really is the way uh, Alex Scott has been treated. So come into that bit now, because that's the important. I know the football's great. Great to see Usain Bolt. If he was playing in blue, it would have been a bolt out of the blue, but never mind. Um, <laughs> you know, to be fair, the more important part of it is the criticism. And I see she's even had death threats. Now, tell us what that's about. Now, th- this is disgusting, Vince. It's uh, something that we unfortunately talk about on a more regular basis now, isn't it? But now we're talking about um, Al- Alex Scott, Alex- Alexandra um, Scott. She's called, she is an ex professional woman footballer. And she is 38 years old, I think now. She retired from playing professional football with 100, 140 England caps. She's the second most highest capped female footballer. And she retired before all this money was pushed in, all this like hype that they're giving it these days. And uh, she went through it, if you like, the hard way. OK, Rob, to come, um, to, to, come to the point, she's a really nice young lady. She looks nice. She speaks eloquently. She knows what she's talking about. And it was because she had some sort of a dress on, which I thought, by the way, looked very nice. It suited her. It was a lovely colour. And she looked a credit to somebody going on TV. I think when people go on TV, they have the honour of appearing in front of the public. And she made the effort to make herself look nice. And what do we get? Tell us what was going on. Well, Alex Scott, um, she is a mixed-race girl. She is very, very pretty. Um, okay, and she knows us, what she's talking about as far as football happened. goes. But she, she was wearing a red dress, which is like a red plastic dress with a mini skirt, similar to Spice Girls kind of thing that they did in the 1990s. And she came in for a mountain of criticism from these, what they call keyboard warriors these days, who were criticizing the fact that she, of what she was wearing and the fact that she was a woman and the fact she was a woman of color and all this kind of okay, business. Let's, let's, and let's, she, she, she's very good. I like her. I let's, think she's call, let's call these people idiots, uh, badly educated, yeah. uh, badly informed, and they just want to take out whatever frustration they have in life on a young lady who made the effort to look nice on television. When we've got all this rubbish going on about Philip Schofield in the background and all that rubbish, it's about time. Take away all the race issue. Take away all the other other sorts of the sexist issue. She knows what she's talking about. She was definitely well presented and she didn't deserve any of this nonsense and to be frank with you um you you know i I just think she needs people like us to speak out and make sure our listeners know that we as two 
uh, ordinary blokes who basically um, try to look at things objectively were infuriated by what she had to endure. The end of story for me. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree entirely, Vince. I mean, um, she is a very good presenter. She knows the subject. She's she's an ex-professional. Let's face it, um, and she she she. She's got a sense of humour. She she's young enough so she can relate to the players. <clears throat> when she presented match of the day, when um, Dunica was uh, suspended for a couple of weeks, she can actually ad lib if you like. She knows what she she knows the subject, but yeah, getting death threats. I mean that is completely out of order. I mean, anybody who gets death threats for basically doing anything, but just for being. A, a football presenter and knowing what you're talking about, then she gets death threats. And apparently this happens on quite a regular basis, not just because of she was wearing the red dress. Apparently she gets all sorts of abuse it's all probably, the time. It's probably because she's an Arsenal, ex-Arsenal star. And quite honestly, these are the sort of idiots that you can see. In, there probably are not that many of them, Rob. And it's like all the other stuff going in society. The idiots are the ones that people pay attention to. If by any chance this young lady happens to ever hear our podcast, I just hope she hears that we hate the fact that it's happened. We hope that uh, she's got, uh, obviously, the sense that I'm sure she has to just put it to one side and say most people, millions of people, would not agree with it. We're going to go on to a thing called... Uh, yeah, it's always the few rotten apples, isn't it, Vince? Yeah, uh, this is tragedy chanting that we're looking at now. Now, um, there's a sports and performance psychology coach, and uh, the name is Sarah Majid. And she thinks there's various region, reasons for tragedy chanting. And she says a lot of it is alcohol. When you're drunk and you're insensitive, you don't realise what you're doing, she tells BBC Newsbeat. If people were sober and they were in a football stadium, I don't think they would be doing... Uh, she also thinks that some fans are blinded by loyalty to their club. I want my team to win. I'm going to do everything, anything possible if they're losing, Sarah says. She says some fans who sing the abusive songs will argue the whole nature of sport is be competitive. Uh, well, Sarah, you might be a very good sports and performance psychology coach, but you see, it's very difficult to define the depths of depravity and idiocy that we are now getting down to. I am afraid I have had to teach in colleges, and that's where you'll find some of the answers to this sort of stuff. You then go down to some of the places where the alleged football fans might be. And I'm afraid they would be chanting things like this. Uh, they don't have to be drunk. Don't forget, we've had a, a T-shirt that was being worn by a Manchester United fan uh, telling us that the 98 people that died um, in the Hillsborough tragedy, uh, there was the, the, the remark printed on, underneath, not enough. I mean, look, uh, I'm going to go on to get Rob to read to us what's it's what's it actually like to hear tragedy chanting. So uh, this is what what is written. And Rob, if you'll be good enough to just read that for us. Right now. Um, 
Well, what, what would you like me to read, Vince? I'll, I'll, well, read, I'll, the, I'll read the, read, read the, the whole paragraph. As well as the Munich air disaster, another common subject. Ah, yeah, yes. Now, that that is where it draws. The, there's a line, isn't there, somewhere? But this is um, what I am reading out from um, information that Vince sent me. It says, as well as the Munich air disaster, another common subject of tragedy chanting is the Hillsborough disaster. Reds fans that Steve Hart is a regular at Anfield and says there's a real frustration and anger and he hears those songs from opposition fans. It's just pure tribalism. He tells Newsbeat, which I think is a BBC radio um, programme, I think. But yeah. He says, I should be able to take my eight-year-old son to a football game without him having to ask Daddy, why are they calling me a murderer? Literally, I've had to that exact conversation with my son. Uh, that's really difficult to have to do that. Steve, who is head of operations at Liverpool um, Football Fan Channel, uh, the Red Men TV, says fans often chant things like "Feed the Scousers," "The whole country's cost of living crisis," and "You're mocking the poor." It's just a bit grim. Now that is exactly how I feel about it, um, and, and this man has he's got he's got to explain to his eight year old son um, why the opposition, some opposition people are chanting about the Hillsborough disaster. Now, when it comes to things such as the Munich um, air crash and the Hillsborough um, situation, then you cross lines, don't you? You cross lines of, of moral uh, lines. It's okay going along and chanting something in favour of your team or possibly against the other team. But when um, it comes into things that are as serious as um, people dying, I mean, 96 or 98 people died in the Hillsborough. Now, that affects everybody who, everybody in the world of football, uh, regardless of your team. But listen, it's these few listen, minority listen, listen, Rob, idiots, isn't it? Rob, um, we're two football fans we are also yeah. uh, sort of sort of critics, sort of pundits. I mean, the whole nature of this podcast is that really you've got to be able to put football in its place in society. And, you know, uh, first of all, I'll apologise that um, some of the stuff I send, Rob, is a little bit out of order. So it takes a couple of minutes to get that up on the screen. So uh, I'm sorry if it wasn't quite in the right order because of obviously um, the way I collate this stuff is all going on all week. Um, what I've got to yep. say is that, you see, um, th this is all part of an education system. It's all part of television and the media. And I talk, I bang on, about people have to join up the dots. Something is going on with football. You don't have people taking the knee, for example, at football matches still after a year when people have already identified that the organisation Black Lives Matter has got corruption within it. Plus, you only need to look at the Premier League to see there is an absolute furnace in the amount of black players that are in the teams. Quite rightly so, because they're blooming good players. Now, when it comes to the fans, it's all very well for the psychologist to try and rationalise about people chanting nasty stuff at each other. It's been going on for years that people go to football matches and there will be banter, there will be nice banter and there will be not nice banter. You are not going to change society overnight. 
You're not going to change society by bombarding them with TV advertising or uh, little uh, postures that people are trying to brainwash other people with. It's not going to happen that way. And the reason why I show that is because just as we're talking about some bad things, we're now going to look at some West Ham fans. Now, West Ham have smashed a fundraising target for a 19-year-old fan. This poor fan was hospitalised in Prague. Uh, you might remember the Hammers triumphed over Fiorentina on the Wednesday night and ended their 43-year wait for a major trophy. So... Um, there is obviously the thrill of seeing Jared Bowen win the game at 2-1. And of course, the evening then carries on. And one travelling family uh, was hit by tragedy after their son was involved in an incident. So uh, have you? Uh, are you up to speed with that one, Rob? Do you know what happened? Yes, well, this was um, after the match uh, where West Ham um, beat Fiorentina in the uh, Europa League or the Europa Conference League um, final last week. And it's a young lad, he's called Connor Reid, uh, 19 years old. He was there to watch the match with his dad. And for some reason, which isn't um, particularly explained, but I don't think he was doing anything wrong, but he fell off He, he fell off a wall, um, a five metre high wall, and he fractured his skull and he, he fractured it, some of his ribs and he's had to have his spleen removed. Now, I've... I, I'm not a doctor, but I looked up what the spleen remove thing is. And apparently it's it's not life-threatening, but it's quite serious. And the West Ham um, supporters have got one of these um, like crowdfunding um, systems yeah. together that yeah. they do on, on the internet these days. And they've raised, I think, at the moment, I think it's about £15,000 to help this lad on his sort of like road to recovery because um, he was there as a fan with his dad. He got badly injured and um, a fractured skull. He's, he's not, it's not, no joke, is it? Let's face it. And um, they, they, yeah, they've all rallied round. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it, at that match, both West Ham and Fiorentina are going to be taken to, um, it's going to be a, a UEFA um, justice system because of the behaviour of the fans of both teams during the match, because they were throwing things onto the pitch, which we could all see. But uh, it's another thing that we speak about on quite a, a too regular basis, isn't it, Vince, really? Fans are getting involved in what's happening on the pitch. But the, um, the Fiorentina uh, captain was hit on the head, but it looked like it was a cigarette lighter. It's difficult to see on the footage, but it looked like a cigarette lighter. But somebody threw it, 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 it hit him on his head while he's actually on the pitch in the first half of the match. And that's completely out of order. And both teams are going to be sanctioned. But yeah, this uh, young lad, uh, Conor Reid, let's wish him all the best. And uh, yeah, the West Ham supporters, um, they've had a really good season, haven't they, this year? And they're, they're all rallying around because they are very tight, aren't they? Okay, West let, Ham. Let, me, let me go to a couple of things. First of all, the lad that was injured hadn't realised there was a drop behind him. So this was nothing to do with crowd behaviour. It was just a pure, oh, no, this was a, no, this was completely horrible acid. Now, as far as things being thrown and everything, a thought crossed my mind. When the rugby players go onto the pitch, uh, they come onto the pitch 
and basically before the game um, you know they don't tend to go up a tunnel or anything but when they finish their game the teams line up and they come off down the tunnel shaking hands with each other etc etc now football doesn't do that Football does the obvious thing, which is basically all come out uh, skipping merrily, holding hands in two lines with uh, little children. All looks nice. Uh, and then they finish and they all go off um, surly in one respect or happy as Larry in the other. I would bring in the tunnel for leaving the field. I would show the fans that that exists for something greater than the good of the game it's to do with the societal aspect of you've played your game you've thumped each other and now you're shaking our hands and saying okay mate you know we didn't like each other for 45 minutes each way but now um we're going to do something uh, we're going to go and have a drink and hopefully be nice to each other um now you see the thing is a lot of the people that go to football matches i would say out of a hundred thousand people I would imagine 99,000 people, probably minimum, 99,000 people are probably nice people. And I think there might be a 1,000 people. I might, be over, I might be exaggerating. And I think we've got it all inverted because you and I have both read this horrible article about this poor guy and the cigarette lighter hitting his head. You're quite right. I saw the pictures. You're right to bring it up. But that's where the football authorities and everybody else are not addressing. It's an educational problem followed by putting the right things. It's all very well kneeling down at the start of the game. Let's play maybe even the national anthem or let's... I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of an anthem. Let's have a football anthem and let's all shake hands, go down the tunnel, anything. But let's not leave nastiness on the pitch. That's what I think. There we are. Any ideas? I, I, I think that's a brilliant idea, Vince. I mean, um, as you've, you've played, we've, well, we've both played rugby and football, haven't we? And even at um, schoolboy level, you finish a rugby match and... Both of the teams that yeah they they, they sort of give a guard of honour don't they to each other um, because you've fought it's, it's a hard sport isn't it let's face it but you've you've fought for the the match but as soon as the whistle goes and the match finishes you're all friends again or oh, that should be the idea at least um, but football as you say it's like the other way around they all come out all waving and dancing and things like that but so, when things happen at the end of the match they all yeah one team will go off. Um, this, well, they they don't behave themselves. I don't think properly. Well, well they don't. You um, see, I, I and, think and, and, and in rugby you do, don't you? Yeah, I think there's not a closure. You see, it might even leak out onto people going out of the ground and not behaving as badly as they did. Because quite honestly, you know, we do know, and I don't think I'm going to be saying anything nobody really isn't aware of, but uh, there is, there are a lot of football fans who are not the brightest in the bunch. And, you know, if you go to a, a rugby game, you don't really get these 
punches up and brawls and things. Of course, they do happen from time to time. But in a general sense, you see, you know, to go to another country, for example, in a European game and then find the fans brawling outside on the terraces of an innocent cafe or bar owner, um, you know, I find that repulsive and not the reason for wanting to, you know, socialise in another part of the world. I'm going to go to Everton next. And, um, you know, again, a little bit of jumping around, but Everton have announced uh, the chief executive, Denise Barrett-Baxendale, chief finance and strategy officer, Grant Ingles, and the non-executive director, Graham Sharp, who used to play for the club, have left their boardroom roles so, uh, if you pick that up from where the Toffees have said interim appointments and etc., can you tell us a little bit more about what's going on at relegated practically? Woof! Just missed it, Everton. Well, um, Everton Football Club are in extremely dire straits financially, Vince. Uh, they have been for quite a long time now, and if they had have been relegated in the last match of the season then they would probably have gone into liquidation and ceased to exist um, because they are in serious debt. Now, um, I don't want to see Everton Club, uh, Everton Football Club um, dissolved because although I'm not an Everton fan, they are one of the oldest football clubs in existence. They, they were first one of the first teams to actually sign up when they... Uh, Invented, well, when, when they made the uh, Football Association, they've got a long history. But over the last few years, they've made some really big financial blunders, errors. Um, it's financial management, I would say, which is the problem, which is why these three people have resigned, isn't it, really? Um, be, but um, their debt at the moment, for example, a couple of weeks ago, it was 500000 uh, Hundred million pounds. Um, now, when I looked uh, yesterday evening, it was up to seven hundred and sixty million pounds. No, this is only the, this is only the costs of constructing the new stadium. Um, yes, which which of course a city like Liverpool, which has had part of its aging, and it is it's a lovely, vibrant city. But um, I'll also add in, by the way, my first football club was Tramie Rovers. Then my uh, my dad encouraged me to become an Everton fan, and it was because of the way that Everton treated their manager back in the day, and they sacked Johnny Curry in a taxi and brought in Harry Catterick, and my dad said, no, we don't want that. You see, the thing is, for some people like these investors, these American investors and the, the shakes with the camels, they don't know how deep family feeling is regarding football uh, and the way the fans feel. So Everton's uh, problems are the city's problems. Half of Liverpool worry about it. So you're talking hundreds of thousands of people everywhere. Yeah, and I I know that, well, Liverpool is the city, it's either red or blue, but you also seem to get on all right, don't you? I mean, over the years when various things have happened, such as Hillsborough and things like that, you all pull together, don't you? Um, The Liverpoolians all seem to pull together. And, yeah, these people who are owning Everton Football Club 
I've absolutely no idea of this. I mean, we're talking now going back generations. Um, they, they were formed, I think, in 1878 or something like that. It was 145 years ago. Well, they were, they which were of in course. world history isn't a long time, but uh, I, it, it's several generations, isn't it? Excuse me again, but, but of course, when you look at the origins, you see it, it was a football club that was a Catholic football club in a, in a city which uh, has got two cathedrals. If you look at the uh, end of each of Hope Street, look at each end, you'll find a cathedral. Most unusual. You've got this beautiful Anglican cathedral, and then down the other end, we've got Paddy's Wigwam, which is a, uh, uh, was a concept. It was a concept cathedral. But, I mean, you know, these are the wonderful aspects of a city coming together, uh, the archbishops got together and they thrashed out the problems. You know, um, there's a lot that can be learned from the likes of Liverpool. And I do think that, they, you know, obviously there's always going to be an undercurrent of bad things as well. But in many, many ways, we can learn from these situations. Now, as a Red, um, I would hope that Everton have a new stadium. I hope they have a resurgence. I hope they do well, and I hope they finish a point behind us every season they play. Yes, well, um, they they haven't. They've only played out, outside of the top flight. They've only played four seasons outside of the top flight since the um, Football Association was formed. Um, 1930 to 31 season and three se- three seasons during the 1950s are the only um, years that Everton Football Club hasn't been in the top flight of English football, and it would yeah it'd be a real shame. Um, I, I would say, and I'm completely neutral really on this because it isn't my team, but it's part of football history. And uh, yeah, if 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 Everton Football Club um, is I would, I would, I would like to see uh, Everton survive, but they've got even more problems now because over the last couple of days, now this happened, I think, about two days ago. But Carlo Ancelotti, the uh, Real Madrid, Madrid manager at the moment, he was the Everton manager um, about 2018 sort of time, and he is now going to sue Everton Football Club um, over contractual issues because I, I'm not sure exactly. Why? Because the details aren't published. Because it's going to be heard in October, apparently. But he's going. He's looking for millions off them. And uh, also, unfortunately, Leeds United, my team, Leicester City, Southampton, and Burnley, who got relegated last season but bounced straight back up, are also um, trying to take legal action against Everton because they think that Everton should have been um, prohibited from playing because of their financial um, restraints and things like that. And therefore, they prejudiced these other four teams. And it seems... Well, I, I'll come in here, it's, Rob. It's a, very, it's a very complex situation, Vince. Uh, Rob, it's it's, uh, it's you, you, interesting. Well, we'll have to watch it and see what happens. You are t- totally right. I think... All that sort of thing should not really be about the the, the football club in the initial phases. They should hit the people who are doing this sort of stuff uh, because the the footballers and the fans know nothing of it. I've got to quickly play a jingle because otherwise... It's it's something to do with the players or the fans. Yeah, and the the ones who just left the building, if you like. Rob, I've got to play play a jingle because if we don't, you'll be able to say nothing about uh, La Liga... And what's happening in Spain? So here comes, right. 
Here comes your jingle. The Liga Roundup with Rob Daniels. Over to you, Rob. Right, Vince. Well, La Liga finished last week and um, we had Barcelona won it. Um, then Real Madrid in second place. I was hoping that Atletico Madrid would come in in second place, actually, to be honest. But uh, Real Madrid did it by one point. Real Sociedad in the fourth position. Villarreal, Betis um, in the Europa League. Osasuna in the, um, the, conference, the, the Europa Conference League. The teams that got relegated... Espa- uh, Elche, who we knew already were going to get relegated, Espanyol and Valladolid in the last match. Now, the, do you know who the owner of Valladolid is? No idea. Right. Um, it's Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo. Yep. He has been the owner of uh, Valladolid Football Club for about the last five years. And um, he is, he's, he's, he's quite upset about it, actually, because he didn't... He, he, didn't want his team to go down. He's going to stay with them, but this is one of his interests, if you like, his hobbies, uh, I suppose you'd probably call it um, for him. But um, apart from the, the situation in La Liga, Real Madrid have got to have a complete renewal, basically, of their team because so many of their players are either going to retire from playing or going to move on somewhere else. Um, Benetton, for example, he's been there for 14 years, been tired that. Time flies, doesn't it? And he's been there for 14 years, but he is he's finished now at Real Madrid. He's going to move on somewhere else. Um, Modric, he's just signed a new deal with Real Madrid, but he, it looked like he might be retiring at 38, I think he is at the moment. But he's signed up for another couple of seasons. But they basically got... They're going to have big holes in their squad, so they're going to have to rebuild. It'll be very interesting because... Um, they got. Did they get Jude Bellingham in the end? I think they did. Yes, they? no. He's just signed. Yesterday was, I think, the day that he officially became a Real Madrid player. Yeah, so they did get him. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So six, yeah, Real Madrid have to do a complete rebuild. But um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, now we've got these uh, Euro qualifiers coming up again, haven't we? And, of course, a big game for Spain tonight. Uh, even as we speak, they play Italy yeah. tonight. If they do win, uh, how do you think they'll get on against Croatia in the final? Ooh, it's difficult. Croatia um, are a really good good footballing nation, aren't they? Let's face it, Vince. And they've got to beat Italy tonight as well. Spain have got to beat Italy tonight to get into the final. Um, against Croatia and Italy has always been the best in Negro they call them the, the uh, black beast uh, they call it in English I, I don't yeah there's sort of I'm, I'm trying to make sure I don't say a word which could immediately spring to my uh, mind uh, because we don't say these particular words it's um, offensive language really but there, there was there was an expression which basically um, 
could give you an idea of a man chopping wood, should we say. Uh, always when it came to that one person or one team, there was a problem. So that would be where that was going. Um, you know, I think yeah. the, the thing the thing is, um, you, you know, Spain have been a little indifferent uh, over the last couple of performances from what I seem to be remembering. Um, what's the manager like at the moment? It's, it's it's all a bit up in the air at the moment, Vince. To be honest, I mean, um, none of the players who played in the uh, 2010 World Cup are still playing. I think Sergio Ramos, I think, was the last one, um, and he was left out of the Spanish team that played in the um, recent World Cup because Luis Enrique was in charge, and for and he he, he wasn't even chosen to to be part of the squad, which he wasn't uh, happy about. But um, it, it's going through a process of change around. The manager we've got at the moment is a guy called Luis Telefuente. And in my personal opinion, I don't think, I don't think he's really... Uh, he's an interim manager, I would say, in my personal opinion. I, I think that's what most people think. While they try to find the uh, next one now... I I would like to see, and I think a lot of uh, people in Spain would like to see. We'd like to see uh, Xavi Hernandez as the next Spanish national manager, mm. but he's the manager at Barcelona at the moment, and it's going to be very difficult to persuade him um, out of that job. What about Xavi Alonso? But, uh, yes, now he is also in the frame, and he's in Germany at the moment. Um, Great Liverpool player, so of course. Oh, excellent, excellent! If Real Sociedad. He's a, he was a Real from the Cantera Real Sociedad was Javier uh, Alonso, but yeah, absolutely brilliant player. Now he's a he's a successful manager in Germany. Is he at Schalke all three? Um, I've got a quick. Got a quick. I think it's at Schalke, but I've got. I'm looking at the clock, Rob. I'm awfully sorry, but we you know we're we're running near no, the no. end. Uh, I'm just going to say, last night I went to a local football bar just to see how many people were in watching this Nations League semi-final. Do you know what? There was not one person in what's normally a very packed bar watching the football. The football was on. Um, I did not see one person watching the game. Nobody was in the slightest bit interested. So uh, that was my perspective on this important. I might even pop along tomorrow uh, tonight to just see how many people are in there uh, watching Spain. Um, I've got to say, we're coming to the end of a season. We're going to be discussing many other issues uh, of a of a wider nature and uh, I've got to say Rob uh, your input uh, for the Spanish leagues this year has been very very informative I'm sure our listeners would like me to make sure that uh, I give you a pat on the back over the uh, waves uh, because it does take a lot of uh, putting together rooting out the uh, the good stuff from the bad stuff and especially um, when you're doing it in your second language I know that you're fluent in the language but it's still you know there's still little bits and pieces which other people who have been here a long time would feel the benefit of you telling them uh, because sometimes we get uh, little bits of translation that have gone slightly left of centre so well done for that um, 
R- Rob, we're up. Thank you. We're up to our last minute for today. We've got some really good subjects out of the way. Um, please uh, excuse the fact that I have to bring you back on track every now and again. Uh, Alex Scott, in particular, I wanted to make sure our listeners, whoever you might be, and whatever your thoughts might be, mine are simply a young lady looks nice, great experience. She was presenting a program, and she does not. Um, nobody, by the way, uh, deserves that sort of abuse, but she certainly didn't, and uh, that's how I felt about it. Last word from you, Rob, as we go to our last 30 seconds. Right, Vince, well, that's exactly how I felt about the Alex Scott situation as well. Um, she was a good player, brilliant player, actually, in her time. Um, very good presenter. She looked beautiful, uh, the way she was dressed, and I, I, I'd support her all the way. Um, anybody who criticises it, they're entitled to criticise people, but anybody who makes any kind of death threats, well, that is crossing the line, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. Let's be fair, if the same presenter had had on a terrible dress, I would have said she's a lovely young lady, but it didn't like the dress. That's all you have to say. Rob, thanks for your company. Look forward to next week. My pleasure, always, Vince. <laughs>